Well, this summer we have uh, just completed a brief series as we've walked through some of God's priorities in our praying, and uh, we've done that for about six weeks, and as we have had our grand opening and move into the fall and things kick up, we're starting a new series, and uh, as our practice here, we, uh, we often work through books of the Bible, and uh, we finished First Thessalonians last spring, and this fall we're going to start into the book of Colossians. So this morning we start in the uh, first part, the first three verses of the first chapter. This is the, uh, the greeting, the address to, the, uh, to those who are receiving the letter. Every ancient letter that was written at this time had uh, three things in it. It had who the letter was from, who the letter was to, and then a standard greeting uh, to those who were receiving it. You know, we put who it's from at the end, which I always think is a little strange because if it didn't tell you on the envelope, first thing you would do is turn to the end of the letter to see who, who you're reading from, right? So they're smart. They put it up front, you know, who it's from, who it's to, and the greeting. And, and though we're going to look at the first three verses, I'm not going to really talk to the greeting, grace and peace from God our Father. I would encourage you to go back into the First Thessalonians, the basic Christianity series that we did last fall and spring. And uh, the, the greeting there is the same, and, and we talked about it then, but you can just know that grace is the, the Greek greeting, and shalom or peace is the Jewish greeting, and Paul puts them together in his letters, commandeers that grace, you know, and fills it full of all the content that is in Christ and is Christian, and he combines the Greek and, 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 uh, and Hebrew Greetings, and so you can you can look at those things. But this morning we're in, in one to three, and we're really going to focus on verse two. But uh, read with me then uh, the word of God. Paul writes, and he says that Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning into your presence. We have come to sit at your feet and to learn of you. This is the needful thing that you might speak into our lives, that you would inform our heads and capture our hearts, and so, and so Father, our lives might be full of your presence and your truth. And so even now, as we look at just these few words and, and, and wrestle with what it means to be a saint, we pray that you would write it in our hearts and minds in such a way that it changes our lives. We ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul writes to this, this church in the city of Colossae. Colossae is a, a city in Asia Minor. You know, that thumb that sticks out, modern-day Turkey. It's a city that's not far from Laodicea that you read about in the book of Revelations, and really not that far from Ephesus. Those are some of the churches in that area, Colossae, uh, modern-day Turkey. It's a church that Paul did not plant. So he does not have firsthand knowledge. He doesn't have a lot of firsthand relationships in this area. Uh, but interestingly, the churches that Paul did plant planted this church. The message spread throughout the area from uh, these churches, and, and this continues to be the job. Whoever planted us, our job is to continue to take that message to the surrounding areas and to see the gospel go forward in churches planted. Paul is writing to the church. He has some knowledge and information as he gets reports from the various churches that 
uh, as in a lot of the churches, as you read a lot of his letters, that, that in every church and in every age, there are false teachings and bad ideas that come into the life of the church that people start uh, being seduced by. And you'll see that as he writes this letter, he's really addressing the church and addressing some false teaching that they've been encountering and some false ideas about spirituality and what it means to be a believer. Still things we're dealing with today. A lot of the application as we go through this is it's not, it's not something new and it's, and it's not just something old. It is something the church has always had to deal with is some of these false notions about <laughs> what it means to be a believer in the way our spiritual lives should progress. And he responds to some of these challenges. You'll see as he reads through it, often as you read and think about the book of Colossians, one of the major themes is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Who he is is the Lord of all. And this is the message that he begins to address the church. It really is an explosive and subversive message particularly in that culture, but really in every culture. When you start to talk about the preeminence of Christ in Christ alone, as Lord of the cosmos, the way to the Father, apart from whom he says, you know, that I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That Jesus is the unique Son of God in glorious ways. This message confronts every culture in an explosive and subversive way. It is, it is a controversial message. It was then when Caesar alone was supposed to be Lord, and they would proclaim, we would proclaim that Christ alone is Lord. And we still, against the culture who wants you know, to, uh, to judge everything by other standards, we do it by this absolute vision of reality and of life that is in Christ Jesus as Lord and King. Every philosophy, every spirituality, every tradition, every way of life is judged by the truth as it is in Christ. So Paul writes, he identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as he does in most of his letters. He either addresses and says he's an apostle or a servant of Jesus Christ, and really they are the same thing. Um, and, and it is the same for us. However, you would identify yourself as a Christian and a follower of Christ. You are also the servant of Christ. And Paul writes and identifies himself, and he says, but it is by the will of God. In other words, he is not a self-appointed authority. And that what he's about to write and what he's about to say isn't his word, isn't just his ideas. He speaks as an apostle. He speaks to them as one by the will of God speaking into their lives. And this was important for them, the, very, the, the word of man versus the word of God. And Paul says that he speaks with this authority, that God stands behind him as the sender. And he's writing, he's writing to the saints, the faithful brothers, brethren, and brothers there is inclusive, brethren, it's brothers and sisters, to the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae. But he calls them saints. And uh, this was always, for me, a, a helpful study. And I thought we would just dig down right here this morning. Sainthood has a really mixed history, you know, a really mixed ideas in the way that, that we have thought about it and talked about it and experienced it. You know, we would say if somebody's being particularly patient with somebody else, you'd say he's a saint. 
You know, he's, he's being particularly good right now, you know, and we call him, he's, he's a saint or something like that, you know. And there are a lot of saints that have been named St. Paul, St. Peter, all the apostles get sainthood, right? And a lot of churches then, particularly in the main lines, are named for them, St. Peter's and St. Andrew's and, you know, these. Some of my favorite are like uh, St. Augustine. I like St. Augustine, St. Aquinas, and, uh, and St. Mother Teresa. I like, she's on my list. You know, but she just got to be a saint last year, 2016. It took him like 18 years from her death. But you get this idea that it's just a, it, this is a small elite group of people who are particularly good, right? At least that's the way it is often portrayed out in, in the common parlance, right? A group of super Christians. And it appears that there's a whole bunch of them in Colossae. Because right, Paul's writing, you know, and if, if you go that route, you say he's not writing to the general, you know, hodgepodge of Christians, you know. No, he's writing to the saints, right, to that elite super core of believers who are particularly good. Um, but he's not, is he? And you and I know this. He's not writing to some elite group. He's not writing to a small subgroup within the church. The New Testament as a whole, if, you, if, you do a, if you've got a digital Bible and you can search saint, you'll find it's used in the New Testament dozens and dozens of times. That it's a very common name for the church, for Christians, for all the members. So when he writes to all the saints, to the saints in Colossae, he's writing to the church in Colossae. Just another way of saying it. That you're, you are the saints. You are right up there with Peter and Paul and Teresa. Every Christian. Right, 1 Corinthians 1-2, this is easily demonstrable. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a couple of verses, and I, like I said, there were dozens, and I won't waste your time with, with that, but just to show, when he writes to, for, to the Corinthian church, he does a similar greeting to the church that is in Corinth, right? He's writing to the church, to the church in Corinth. Those who are sanctified, that word there is the same as, the same word group is holy. We'll look at that in a minute. The same group as saint, to the saints in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, right? To the church called to be saints together with all of those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So everybody, everywhere, he calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are saints together, right? So he clearly, clearly defines it in that context. The church, the sanctified, the saints, and all those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus are all the same people. 1 Corinthians 14.33, he says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all of the churches of the saints, right? So there aren't certain churches of the saints. You know, there are churches of saints and churches of the regular Christians, you know. No, to all the churches of the saints, all the Christians, every true Christian is a saint. It's an important part of our identity. And I don't know if you think of it that way, because if you use it in that common parlance of if somebody's being particularly good, they're like, they're being a saint, you know, or you think of St. Paul, you know, or St. Teresa, whatever it is, and you don't think of yourself in that context, you're really missing out. You're really, there is something God gives you here in this identity that Paul would address the church dozens and so many times with this identity, hey, hey, saints of God, you know, as he addresses them, that's who he thinks of them as, and so he, I would think he wants you to think of yourself that way. Yeah, that's me, a saint of God, the whole church of you, genuine, bona fide, 
saints. So what is a saint then? If you are one, and we all are one, and the New Testament and the whole Scripture says you're one, what are we saying when we say that you're a saint? And the short answer of it is we're saying that you're a holy people. You're a holy group of people. Which sometimes is hard for us to wrap our minds around. Because the word saint is simply the noun form of the word holy. Now I'm going to do what I don't normally do, which is I'm going to I'm going to show it to you in the Greek. I'm going to show you a few words in the Greek because I want you to see their relationship. Because the word holy, and you see it off to the right there transcribed, the, the hagios in the Greek is, um, you know, it's an adjective, and you see the word there, hagios. That's the word holy. Every time you see the word holy in the New Testament Greek, you're reading, that's the word underneath it, hagios, holy. And it means, like just in verse 22 of this same chapter, you look down, it said, Jesus did all that he did to make you holy and blameless. It's hagius, it's an adjective, to make you holy and blameless. And if he's made you holy and blameless, then you're now a holy one, a saint, and it's the noun form. And so we see the noun form, uh, and the, I think there's a slide that has all of those on it, if we can do those. So you see these three words, and I wanted you to see them side by side, and I don't know if it helps you or not, but it actually changed the way I read the New Testament a little bit. So I give this to you for what it's worth. Hopefully it helps you. But you see these three words in English that don't look related. Holy, holy this, holy that. You know, saints, you hear that. And sanctify, you know, we're sanctified in Christ Jesus or sanctify this and that. And we look at those words and they seem so different. When in the Greek, they are all the same word group. Holy is the Greek word hagios. Saint is the Greek word hagios. Sanctify is the Greek verb hagiadzo, right? And so sanctified or to sanctify. So anytime you see those words in there, you should know that underneath it is simply the idea that holy, saints are holy ones, and to sanctify is to make holy. And it's all the same word group. It's all the same thing going on. And I wish we could see it in the English. So that as you read and you start to read when you're sanctified and all that kind of things, you're being made holy. And that you, so you are holy holy ones who are holy in Christ and who are being made holy more and more sanctified by his grace and his presence in our lives. So I want you to see all that because to see that a saint is a holy person. But then the question has to be asked, what does it mean for you and I to be holy? What does it mean for you to be a holy person? To define it very simply would be simply this. It means to be cleansed and set apart for a sacred use. That's what it means to be holy. Simply it's cleansed and set apart for a particular and sacred use. And in New Testament terms, in biblical terms, it means to be cleansed and set apart for the worship and the work of God. Right? That's what it means. If you're a saint, that's what's happened to you. You've been cleansed and set apart for the work and the service and the worship of God. The root idea then is not just purity of character, but of consecration. You know, to be consecrated, anointed with oil or anointed with something that sets you apart and for a sacred thing. So in the Old Testament, it's not just people, but places and things that are called holy. Moses stood on holy ground. 
You know, all the, all the items in the temple, the menorah and the table and all that stuff was holy. It was sprinkled and cleansed and put in the temple and it was holy. Not because it, was a, it wasn't a special table and that it was any different than any other table, but it was in the temple. So it was set apart. It was cleansed, you know, where there was a little ceremony thing, and then it was put in the temple for a special use. It was used in the worship of God, like no other table was. You know, and the same with the menorah. And all the, everything else in the temple was cleansed and put in the temple and considered holy because it was used in that way and that way only, set apart from all other profane use. And he says, that's you. And cleansed and set aside like all the items in the temple for a particular sacred purpose, to serve, work, and worship the Lord and the Lord alone. Losey, one commentator, writes, and he says, it has been withdrawn from a profane usage, singled out for God's express and exclusive possession. That's what it means when he writes to the saints, this group of people who have been set apart as God's exclusive possession to now serve his purposes and not just the normal and everyday. Separated unto God. In Luke chapter 1, when Luke is expressing, um, and it comes in a form of a song of, of uh, uh, there in the beginning, that uh, what is the purpose of, of saints and what Jesus is accomplishing in his people. And he says this, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Right? It's an expression of, of holiness. And he says, in holiness and righteousness, that we would be delivered out of the hand of our enemies, turning from darkness into light, and that we would be, in that sense, set apart to serve him all of our days. That's holiness, to be set apart, sanctified. We see that saints, this word here that he calls the church to the saints, is really the Old Testament name for God's people. Everybody knows throughout the Old Testament that God's people were called two things. They were God's chosen people and they were God's holy people. Right? Over and over again. And those two things are applied to the church in the New Testament. We are God's chosen people and God's holy people. And both of those will come out in the book of Colossians as he uses these things. So sanctifying, usually make, making someone or something holy, almost always involved cleansing with blood. Now, as you look at the Old Testament and everything got sanctified and put into the temple for holy use, it was sprinkled first with the blood, right? In the Old Testament, you can look, and you see this in many places, but it's summarized very nicely for us in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. So look at Hebrews chapter 9. It says this. When every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood, calves and goats, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and then all the people. And that's, in a sense, how you get to be God's holy people, that he cleanses and in this formal way sanctifies or sets you apart and makes you holy ones. So he sprinkled them with the blood and the tent and all the vessels that are used in worship. So the, the law, the book, the people, the tent, all the stuff in it, all together, set apart, sprinkled with the blood, cleansed and made sacred to God's special purposes. 
Interestingly, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he says this again, and we see both. We're God's called and chosen people. Right? He writes, Peter writes to, and this is his address in the book, to the elect exiles. Elect there could be translated chosen. Uh, to the chosen exiles, God's chosen people, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification, same word group again, in the making holy by the work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and a sprinkling with his blood. Right, so he takes that Old Testament imagery that everything that is sprinkled with the blood and, and set apart, cleansed and set apart, and he says, we are a whole people chosen by God to receive the sanctification of the Spirit and that sprinkling with his blood to make us this, this people, just like that picture in the Old Testament, God's chosen and holy people. So how does one become a saint? To become part of this chosen, set-apart group. Well, it tells us, I think, in the text, by the other ways that the saints are addressed. He says, to the saints and to the faithful brothers in Christ. And faithful there, when he calls them faithful brothers in Christ, this is not two separate groups, the saints and then the faithful brothers, the brothers and sisters that are in Jesus. They're the same group. right? So the saints who are full of faith... And the faithful there is not just, you know, um, a loyalty or, or that kind of faithfulness, but you can take it as being f- that whole being full of faith, trusting the faithful brothers and sisters, the people who are full of faith in Christ, he says. Right? And that's how we get to be saints. It are those men and women who are full of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's the only way. To join that group of people. It's not by being especially good. It's not by performing in a certain way. Or having a certain number of miracles attributed to your, to your record. Or something of this nature. The only way is this way. To be people full of faith. Faithful brothers and sisters. Full of faith in Christ. Paul puts it this way in Acts 26, 18. Paul is writing. He's telling about his conversion. Jesus meets him and calls him into the ministry, sets him apart for the ministry. And in doing this, he tells Paul what his mission and his ministry will be. And he says this, Paul, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's repentance. That they may turn from darkness to light. That they might turn from the power of the enemy unto the service and the serving of God, and they may receive then the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, made holy, made saints by faith in me, by trust in Jesus Christ. It's the only way in. There's a beautiful, if we'll put that, that verse back up for just a minute, because I think in here there is this, um, the fullness of the picture to receive forgiveness of the sins by being sprinkled, by being uh, covered with what Jesus has done in his life and his death on the cross. And it gives this beautiful picture of repentance. And when we talk about that sometimes too, what does that mean in very practical terms? Well, that, there it is, to turn from darkness unto light, to turn from, from obeying anything other than the following of God. And in that, to find forgiveness and turning repentance and faith in Christ. And he says, it is in this way that you are sanctified and you find a place 
among the saints. Repentance and faith. Have you ever done that? Maybe you grew up in the church. You know, it's one of those things that we often take for granted. Sometimes our children or sometimes you've just been in church all your life. You take a lot of things for granted, and we assume that these things are true. But assuming it is not good enough, and the question becomes, have you ever done this? Have you ever, have you ever in a very real way, in, in doing business with God, turned away from darkness? Said, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm not going to walk that way anymore. I don't want to be that person anymore. I'm going to turn from darkness to the light. I want to be, I want to follow you. I want to live in the light in ways that are pleasing to you and honoring to God. Have you, have you turned from darkness to light, from all those other things to follow him? Have you known then and asked for the forgiveness of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? It's the only way to become part of that sacred group the people of God, the holy people of God. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you to do it today. Turn from following in darkness to following Christ in the light. This is the only way that we are made holy. It's the only way to come in. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 to 31, he says this, you are in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, who has become for us Wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, the making us holy, setting us apart. Jesus has become for us our sanctification in such a way, he says that it is written, let no one boast. And anyone who boasts, let him boast only in the Lord, because the only way, the only way for us to become saints, he says, is through faith is this way. There's no room for boasting. You didn't earn anything. You, didn't, you weren't particularly good, and so, you know, they call you a saint. But only because we put our faith and trust in Christ. This is why the common view of sainthood, I think, is damaging. That there's extra good people that become saints, and so we get this idea about how we get it. It does two things. It robs Christ of his glory because it says that he came to make sinners into saints. That he came, that he does it by what he did in his life and death and resurrection. That he is the one who makes saints out of people like you and me. And that by doing that, by repentance and faith, that we become those people. Nothing that we did so that if we boast, we boast only, he says, in the Lord. We would rob Jesus of his glory, of saint-making power, that he would do it by grace and through faith, but it also robs us of one of the most important parts of our identity, of what it means that we have been set apart to belong to Him, that this is you and I, that we are holy ones. I don't know, it does something to my psyche to not make it some elite group over there who, you know, is very special, but it's, it's us who have been sprinkled by the blood. It's us who have been set apart to serve him. It's us who bear that name and that purpose in such a unique and powerful way. We're saints for one reason and one reason only, that we belong to Christ. So what? 
I want to just run through then a few things and talk about being who we are because this is what the declare, you know, this is declared up front. He doesn't write to the group and say, if you do these things, you'll be a saint. He writes to you and says, you are saints. And then he starts saying things like, because you are saints, because this is who you are, be who you are. You know, it's not something you can earn. It's not something that you're striving after every day. There's no fear in it. There's no drudgery in it. There's no all of that kind of whatever. It's given to you freely and up front. It's in the address. Hey, saints of God, holy ones, you who belong to him, right, are chosen and known to him. Hey, you guys, be who you are. Live it out. Live up to the calling. Right, Gee, Paul says that in many places that we would live worthy of the calling that we have received. The calling is saints. And he says, let us live worthy of it. Let's be who we are as the saints of God. Probably no verse that captures that set apart in this better than 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 where he collects, again, all of those Old Testament names for Israel, all the things that, that were said of them, that they were a chosen people, that they were uh, you know, the ones that had a priesthood unto God, a royal priesthood, even in uh, some of the kings. They were a holy nation, a holy people set apart from all, of all the nations of the earth. You only have I known, O Israel, right? That, that holy chosen people, and then that, that idea, again, of holiness, that he defines those things, being chosen, and, and holy is a people for his own possession. In a sense, that's what it means. You're his special people, his special possession. He has taken you into as his own. And he says he's done it that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who had called you out of darkness and into his light. The first thing as we think about this is that when he says we are a people for his own possession, a holy people, is that you are a people that belong to him. This is a powerful, I think, as you go to apply and understand this, as we go to live out your life, it's the application of Jesus' prayer where he says, not my will, but your will be done. That's what it means to be holy. Not my will, but your will. Set apart to do what? Not my will, not to live for myself, but to do his will, to live out his will. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, you're not your own. You are bought with a price. You've been sprinkled with the blood. And it has set you apart in a unique way. You are bought so that you are not your own anymore. You are his special possession. So glorify God. When he says in your body, he means, yeah, very specifically in your body. But that's a way of summarizing your whole life. All that you are and all that you have. You're not your own. You belong to someone else. This is at the very heart of what it means and to apply it. 2 Corinthians 5.15, he says that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, not my will. Take up your cross daily and follow me, but your will be done. It is to be his special possession. Where in your life do you need to start denying yourself and not doing your will and following your way? Where in your life do we need to 
right on it. I, there's this beautiful picture in the Old Testament when, when Aaron is made the priest and they make him an outfit, a high priest outfit. And it's got the stone, one for every tribe, and it's, it's in special colors and cords. And they make a little metal plate that they attach to his turban. And on the plate, you know what it says? Holiness to the Lord. I just think that is awesome. Like you take and put the plate on it like, bam, holiness to the Lord, you, right? That's on because that's us. We are a royal priesthood. We are now the priesthood of all believers. We are the chosen and holy nation. And so, bam, on your forehead, holiness to the Lord. On your forehead, on your forehead, to think of it that way. Where in my life do I need to take that stamp? Where in my life is it not like that, that I need to put the stamp, holiness, to the Lord? To live up to who I am. To live worthy of the calling, the sprinkling, the setting apart, the possessing. And so one of the central struggles of our life is just that, to be who we are. My friends, and that is sanctification, isn't it? The making holy. We're holy, and so we, the central struggle of our lives is this process of sanctification, to be who we are, to be more like Christ, to do His will and to be like Him, to be whom He has made us to be. Colossians 3, chapter, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, we'll see as we get there, we'll talk about it, but he, he says, put on then, as God's chosen and holy people, compassionate hearts, kindness, and he makes a list. But do you see it there? Put, put on, be sanctified, become more like all of this as God's chosen and holy people. In other words, be, Paul writes, he says, be who you are. Put these things on because it is who you are already. The great struggle. He's given us an identity, a place among the sanctified. And he says in that 1 Peter 2 verse, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we might proclaim or declare the excellencies of him who called us. So what are you set apart for? And I would say centrally in the calling is, is this, is ministry. It's your, that you are the only people on the planet, if you rank among the saints, who declare his praises in worship. It is only you gathered on Sabbath mornings, on Lord's Day mornings around the earth, proclaiming the praises of the one who saves you. And so part of that application in declaring it is worship, but it's also the other way we proclaim it is in mission. You know, I think it's interesting that the church he's writing to is not a church he planted, but he, he planted churches of saints who were set apart to declare the praises of him who called them out of darkness into light, that turning from the darkness into light, and that message went out from them. They proclaimed it not just in Sunday morning in an enclosed room, but they proclaimed it in the surrounding communities. They claimed and proclaimed it door to door. They proclaimed it until the church spread and churches were planted. We are set apart for the worship, work, and witness, you are the only, you know, that's why in, in Second Corinthians he says, is those God is making his appeal through us. 
Your tongues are the only tongues that sing his praise. Your tongue is the only tongue that says, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We are set apart for this purpose. You daily waken into the knowledge and the understanding that you are saints, holy ones, sprinkled ones, his special possession for the worship and the work and the witness of his name. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have loved us and saved us and sprinkled us and cleansed us and set us apart and owned us as your own special possession. Oh my God, would you write holiness to the Lord on every aspect of our being, on our hearts and on our souls, on our goods and on our time, holiness to the Lord, that we would be your people, that whatever we do in word or deed, we would do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. For we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.